in that thought, I started thinking about the, the word anchor and what that means for us. And, and what does it mean for us to have hope as an anchor? And, and, and what does that need to be? And, and I thought about those vessels sitting out there that would drop an anchor, right? They would have to drop an anchor so that their, their vessel wouldn't move. They needed a stationary place so that they could leave and come back to. They needed a home base um, while they're in the ocean. And so the anchor is what held them in place. And so, so it's important for us to understand something today, that an anchor is key. When we start talking about our faith, it's important to have certain anchors in our life because culture and comfort and, 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 uh, and the world around us is going to be constantly hitting us with waves and changing tides and things are going to be moving. But we need to be able to have a home base. We need to have something that keeps us stable and secure, and that's an anchor. And so I started thinking about that and how that, how that works for us. And so I started studying through Hebrews, and, I, and, and there were some, some certain things, and we'll get into this later, that I want us to anchor to, right? Like, if you notice... Um, an anchor doesn't work if you just drop it in sand. Like, like, it doesn't necessarily work. What an anchor does best is when an anchor can attach itself to something solid like a rock. When you can attach an anchor to a rock, it holds fast. And, and so I started thinking about anchors and what that means for us. And, and so later on in the series, I'm going to talk about what those rocks are. But today, I just want to talk about anchors. And I think there are four anchors that we're going to find in Hebrews chapter 6. Four anchors that we need to have in our life. And then later we'll talk about what those anchors are attached to. But today I just want to talk about the four anchors. And so as I was studying, I started studying about the book of Hebrews and why the book of Hebrews was written. And here's what I discovered about the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is written to a bunch of Jewish converts to Christianity. But they had a problem. They, they, they are very discouraged. This, this church is very discouraged because so many of them have started falling away from the faith. They have abandoned their faith in Christ Jesus and they've reverted back to an old lifestyle or they've re- reverted um, away from, they've transitioned into just a sinful lifestyle. And, and so they've, they've lost their faith. They've moved away from their faith in God. And so the, the book is written to, to those that remain and, and the writer is saying, hey, he's trying to encourage them and lift their spirits and help them to hold on. I I noticed something about this. It's because when you read this writing, some of the things you're going to read in Hebrews chapter chapter five and chapter six today, mostly chapter six, is you're going to think about a coach. You're going to think about a coach because of the way he talks to these people. There are times when he's very difficult on these people. How many of you have ever had a coach that was kind of hard on you, right? I'm watching the Olympics right now, and in, in the Olympics, they were uh, that guy Fink, or whatever his name is, last night, he, um, he turned it on the last 50 meters of a 1,500-meter swim, and in those last 50 meters, they, they asked him, they said, how is it that you got so much faster in the last 50 meters than you did in the previous 1,450 meters? He said, all I could think about, all I could hear in my head was my coach yelling at me, right? Turn it up! Get to another gear. He said, all I could hear was my coach yelling at me. And so sometimes we have coaches that are a little bit hard on us, and we need that. We need that push. Then sometimes we have coaches that are encouraging to us, and they carry us along, and and that's important too. And so you're going to see in this writing of Hebrews, you're going to see the coach come out. And we're not sure who wrote Hebrews. Most people think it was probably Paul. Some people think it was a guy named Apollos. Um, Either way... The writing you can see is very coaching. As a matter of fact, it, it, it reminded me of um, yesterday we were watching beach volleyball. So at our house, when the Olympics are on, that's what we watch. 
right? And, and like the other day, we're watching the Olympics, and Perry goes, hey, I think these girls have already played against this other girl. It's USA, one of the USA teams versus one of the Brazilian teams in beach volleyball. She said, I think they've already played each other, and I think I've already watched this. And we looked it up. Sure enough, it was a replay. So you know what we did? We sat and watched the replay. We knew the outcome. We watched the replay because we liked the Olympics. And so, so we're watching it, and one of the things they said was, is they, they were talking about the American team, and they said, look at the American team's body language. They said, if they don't get it together, they're going to lose this game. And sure enough, they ended up losing um, because of their, they, they were talking about their body language and how this one girl, even though she was playing really well, just looked really defeated. It was like the heat was getting to her and she was getting frustrated and she was getting aggravated. And they said that they had talked to their coach the day before and the coach had gone back and rewatched their entire match. And he said, technically, you did really well at all of your bumps and all of your sets and all of your spikes. And, and you were digging and you were doing all the things right. He said, but I'm watching your body language and your attitude in between points. And he said, I'm seeing problems, not in the physical ability. I'm seeing problems in the mental and emotional ability. He said, you're falling apart. And you got to get that together. And what we do sometimes as Christians is we can go through the motions very well. We can show up at church and we can read our Bible and we can, we can pray and we can talk about it and we can look like we're doing it all right. But inside we are so discouraged and so emotionally drained that we end up failing in our attempts to pursue the purpose that God has for us. Because there's something else going on inside, internally, maybe it is that we don't have our anchor set the way we think it should be, right? Or we've got the wrong anchor set. So let's look at Hebrews. We're going to start in chapter 5 at the very end. Um, you know, when they wrote the books of the Bible, they didn't write in chapter and verse. Y'all know that, right? Some people don't understand that. I don't know about you, if you've ever written a letter to somebody, you don't say in no, chapter 1, you know, verse 1. Hello, this is Gabriel. You know, you don't do that. And so they didn't do that in the Bible. So really... Uh, chapter 5, uh, there, there's, it clearly bleeds into chapter 6. So starting in chapter 5, verse 11, it says this. There's much more we'd like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Yikes. This coach is on it today. He says, look, you dudes are spiritually dull. You're not paying attention to anything I'm trying to tell you. You're not listening. He says, so I can't even get into the stuff I want to get into. I'm going to have to take you somewhere else. He says, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Maybe we came to the wrong church today. We should be at a church that tells us how good we are. Instead, the Bible doesn't always do that, right? So here's what it says. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. He's telling them right off the bat. He said, some of y'all are still struggling because you're still Christian babies. And, and, and the problem with being a Christian baby is you don't understand right and wrong. So you keep falling to the same sin, the same temptation, the same issue. Why? Because you haven't trained yourself to know right from wrong. You haven't trained yourself. You know, there's plenty of times if you go uh, to any sport... Uh, and someone's learning a sport, they may think they're doing it right, but because they aren't trained, they don't recognize that what they're doing is wrong and potentially dangerous. 
So he says you've got to train yourself to know the difference between right and wrong. Hebrews 6, 1. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Highlight that. If you've got a Bible today or if you've got a, a, in your phone, highlight mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward um, to further understanding. So I, I want to just pause here for just a second and tell you that anchor number one is maturing in our understanding. Some versions of the Bible say perfection or perfecting our faith. Listen, it's not about being perfect. That word perfection there means to mature. We want to grow. We don't want to be babies forever. There's got to be some point in our life where we say, I've got to have more than what I've got right now. I've got to be more than what I am right now. I've got to do more than what I'm doing right now. There's got to be a place where we are challenged and we're not just staying in the ABCs. I used to work um, at a school and I worked with kids that were struggling um, either emotionally or behavior wise or struggling sometimes in their academic. And I remember working with this one kid, and, um, and he was in the third grade. And so in third grade, I don't know what letter, if any of you are teachers or parents, you know there are letters as far as your, your ability to read, right? So some kids on level K, and some kids on level M, and, and Colt used to come home and be like, Dad, I'm on level O, and I'm like, I don't know what that means, but great. Unless it means you're really dumb, in which case we've got to work on it, you know, like, I don't know. But I remember this kid, whatever level he was supposed to be on, let's just say he was on, uh, supposed to be in third grade, maybe you're on level K. Does that sound right? Am I just making up something? Okay. We're going to say level K. But this kid would always go to the reading coach and he would get level A books or level B books. Listen, at level A books, you barely have to read at all. It's like a picture of a duck and it says duck. You know what I mean? And so that's what this kid wanted to do. And, and the problem wasn't that he was dumb. It wasn't that he was dumb because this kid could memorize every part of Minecraft, right? Like he knew all of Minecraft. He knew all about uh, Michael Jordan, who wasn't even, he wasn't even alive when Michael Jordan played. But he could tell you every one of Michael Jordan's stats. He wasn't dumb. He was lazy. And he said, I want to get a level B book, a level C book. I don't want a level K book. And every time I say, no, 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 we got to get a higher level book. And I would try to help this kid read. He would just stumble through it and acted like he couldn't do it. And it was because he was lazy. He never wanted a challenge. He always wanted something that was easy for him to accomplish. And he knew he could read duck because he saw the picture. The sad thing is, is this kid's going to end up someday right? Being labeled as, as, as mentally disabled, not because there's actually something wrong, but because he's lazy. But because he's going to be a, a senior in high school and can barely write his name because as a third grader, he chose not to be challenged. Now we look at that and we think, man, Gabriel, you're being hard on that kid. No, 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 no. I'm being hard on us because we do the same thing in our faith. We choose not to be challenged. My brother-in-law, Jesse, the one that went camping with me, I think it's always fun whenever you see people that do something very manly, like let's go camping and kill things with our hands and eat it for dinner. And then they turn right around and do something that's not quite as manly. So as soon as we got back from our trip, he was like, hey, I got to go uh, to my ballroom dancing lessons, right? <laughs> right? I got to go to my ballroom dancing lessons with my wife. And, um, and so he did. And so, so he got back from dancing lessons and I was like, hey, man, tell me about, you know, dancing lessons. You know, can you do the foxtrot now or the... Roomba or rumba or 
Bumba, I don't know, I don't know the words, but, um, and so he was like, yeah, and so we're talking about, and he's, he started talking about his instructor, and he said, he said, she's a young girl, and, and, um, and he said, I was so encouraged, I said, what, what were you encouraged by, and he said, well, she had talked about how she was transitioning from one church to another, and he said, I knew right off the bat, I said, this is going to be a bad story about how church is full of hypocrites, and everybody, you know, and, and I asked her, I was like, what, why are you transitioning from one church to another church, and, and, and he said that, she said, I just want to be challenged. She said, I'm tired of everybody telling me how good I am. And not that I want someone to tell me how bad I am, but I want someone to challenge me in my faith. I want to grow. And he said, Jesse, my brother-in-law said, I am so encouraged by that to know that there are still people in this world, even young people, that aren't afraid to be challenged. You know what? If we keep everything soft and easy, we're going to grow up to be soft and easy. Sometimes we need a little bit of rough around the edges. We need a little bit of, uh, a, a little bit of challenge, something that's going to make us tough. And so, so that's one of the things that the Bible says here is he says we have to learn to mature in our understanding. So your first anchor that you want to drop in life, in faith, is an anchor of maturity. You need to say, I'm, I'm tired of being soft. I want to be tough. I want to grow. I'm tired of the ABCs, and I'm ready to get into some big boy information, right? So we've got to drop that anchor. The other thing I want to mention to you about these, these people, because he's about to say something super harsh. As a matter of fact, the next part of the Bible I'm about to read is one of the most controversial uh, passages of Scripture. Uh, as a matter of fact, so many people, depending on what part of faith you live on, they argue about this next passage more than anything else. So before I get into this very difficult passage, here's what I want to say. When you understand the problem that these Jews were having, these Christian Jews or Jewish Christians, one of the things that they were doing, one of the issues is because they had converted from Judaism to Christianity, they began to struggle because they were being persecuted, not just for being Christians, but they were being persecuted by their own family and friends, their own culture of Judaism. So they're getting pressure from all sides. And so when, when the writer here starts talking about baptism and um, repentance and uh, some of the other things he says uh, back up uh, earlier, he talks about the basic things. When he starts talking about those things, he's talking about things that could both cross over between Judaism and Christianity. See, repentance isn't a Christian thing. Repentance started out as a Jewish thing and the Christians took it on because we came from Judaism. And so there are certain subjects that cross over, certain topics that cross over. And what the, right, what the scholars seem to think is that a lot of these Hebrews, what they were doing was, is because they were feeling pressure, they began to abandon not all faith, they began to abandon Christ. And they began to slip back into a style of faith that could be both Christian and Jewish at the same time. See, what they wanted to do is they wanted to start mixing some things up a little bit because they didn't want people to call them out. And it, as I read that history about the book of Hebrews, I began to think about our world today and how Christianity today has begun to merge itself with other religions in order not to be different or set apart. We don't want holiness. We don't want what Jesus really stands for. So let's dummy Jesus down just a little bit. Let's abandon the real Jesus Christ. And let's adopt this kind that kind of fits in with everybody else. So we don't have to be different. So nobody makes fun of us. So with that understanding, I want to get to the hard part. And then we'll get to some more really good stuff. Verse 4. Man, this part really stinks. For it is impossible... Now, the word impossible there doesn't mean hard. 
Unfortunately, I wish it did. Unfortunately, the word impossible there means impossible. As a matter of fact, the writer uses it three other times in the same book of Hebrews. And every time it's things that mean impossible. So just if you're going to go ahead and try to change the word of God, you can't. Right. We're stuck. It's impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. And who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing Him to the cross once again and holding Him up to public shame. That's hard. That's hard. Right? I'll try to, I'll try to make it something easier to eat, but it's still going to be hard no matter what I say. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. Dear friends, this is the good part. Here's coach. Coach is being mean, and then coach is going to kind of be nice again. Dear friends, even though we're talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you, right? He's like, it's not really you guys, right? It's everybody else. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. Let me just address that. It doesn't necessarily affect the rest of the message, but I need to address it. If we're going to read it, we need to understand what we're reading, right? So let me address it real quick um, because there's a lot of different opinions out there. So I'm going to give you what I feel like is the most balanced, not necessarily just mine, but from what I studied, the most balanced opinion on this passage of scripture. What a lot of people feel like is it's, it's the idea that these people have abandoned Christ, that they have tasted salvation. They were in the family. They were serving God. But for whatever reason, they have chosen to abandon Christ and seek out a salvation that is easier to live out. They saw the narrow way and they saw the wide gate. And they said, you know what? This narrow way is too hard. I'm going to go over here to the wide gate. Let me get something that's a little bit easier to live out. Let me just abandon some of the standards that I know the word of God has because my uncle lives this lifestyle or my sister lives this lifestyle. So let me just back off of some of the standards that I know the word of God has because my parents did this thing. Then let me just back off. Right? Well, culture tells me that I need to accept all of these things. And, and so therefore, let me have a kind of a style of Christianity where I, can, where I can accept everything and avoid all the bad. And so what, what the writer here is saying is he's saying there's a group of Christians that have abandoned their faith. Not just their faith, because they still have a form of religion. But what they've abandoned is they've abandoned Jesus. And he says, look at all these great things that they've done. They've experienced God's word in a real way. They have partaken with the Holy Spirit, shared with the Holy Spirit. It's only that that term is only used here in the New Testament. And what it means, um, it, what we think it means is that there's some level of of walking with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit being with someone and working through someone. So these are for every um, everybody from the outside looking in. These are Christians, good Christian people. But because they've started abandoning who Christ is for the sake of their culture or the sake of their comfort. 
The Bible says it's very, it's not very difficult. He says it's impossible to bring them back to repentance. Now, one of the things that one of the writers that I've read, one of the guys that has studied this more than I have, one of the things he said is, is he says it's not necessarily about falling. It's about falling away. He said, think about this. He said, use Peter and Judas as your two examples to understand this passage. Peter fails. Judas fails. Right? They both fail the same. They both deny Christ. Here's the difference. Here's what we see Peter do. When Peter fails and and Christ is crucified and he's denied Christ, he goes right back to fishing. Why did he go to fishing? I don't know. But you know what the first place he ever met Jesus was? On a fishing boat. So where does he go? He goes to a fishing boat. Maybe I'm going to find him here again. Right? He's in search of Jesus. As soon as he sees Jesus on the shore, the Bible says he dives out of the boat, swims all the way to the shore to have breakfast with Jesus, to repent, to be changed, to be transformed. And his life is forever changed. You look at Judas. What does Judas do? We know something about Judas. We know Judas was religious. We know Judas was political. You know what the first thing Judas does whenever he, whenever he denies Christ? He goes right back to religion, he goes right back to the church. He throws the money at the people that, that hired him, and he's, he's mad. And immediately he goes from, from a place of religion, he goes into a place of taking care of it myself, and he kills himself, commits suicide. No repentance, no change, no seeking after Christ. So what, this, what some of the writers are saying is they're saying this. They say whenever you look at this verse and you hear that word impossible, don't start fearing that, oh man, I've done something wrong and now God's going to send me to hell and I'll never be able to repent. It's not about falling. It's not about falling. It's about falling away and choosing some other path to find repentance. Judas decided to choose the path of religion and religion was never going to lead him to repentance. Peter chose the path of relationship and relationship will always lead you back to repentance. So it's the difference between falling and falling away. It's the difference between Peter and Judas. And we have to understand something today. There's a world that we live in that people are going to fall away from Christ. They're going to deny Christ. And they're going to think that this new path that I've taken is going to lead me back to repentance. It's going to lead me to a place of salvation. And it absolutely will not. You can only be saved through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. You can't abandon him and still expect... Salvation. It doesn't work like that. We can only have Jesus to get us to heaven, right? So let's keep going because that's the part nobody wants to hear. Verse 10. This is our second anchor. For God is not unjust. Now remember he said, look, this isn't everybody. I'm not talking to everybody. I'm talking to some people. For you guys, you guys aren't living your life like that. So let's talk to you for a minute. He says, God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Anchor number two is God is just. He knows where you are. He hasn't forgotten you. Some of you may be discouraged today, and you may say, you know what, I, I'm struggling because of my family. I'm struggling because of, because of the, the pressure from culture around me. I'm struggling because of my school. I'm struggling because of my job. And I've got this struggle. I've got this discouragement. I want to tell you something. Your second anchor that you need to drop in life is the anchor that God is just. He loves you. He knows where you are. He hasn't forgotten you. He's just. We've got to have that as an anchor for our life. We've got to have that as an anchor. So my first anchor is the anchor of maturity. My second anchor is the anchor that God is 
just. And in the, in the idea that God is just, something I want to remind you of is sometimes people think, well, then you look in the book of Psalms and you see this written a lot. God, why is it that the bad guys are always prospering? Right? Like the Bible, uh, there's times when David says, why is it that my enemy is prospering and I'm living in a ditch? I don't understand. And yet God is still just. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. In other words, it's not for us to deal with that kind of justice. God will handle everything in his time. But you've got to know that he is always just. Verse 11. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts. In, uh, in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Verse 12, then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. So anchor number three is faith and endurance. Most of the time when we see the word faith in the New Testament, in the Greek, it doesn't mean faith, it means faithfulness. It means an ongoing faith, an ongoing lifestyle. And what, what the writer here is telling us is he says, hey, listen, here's a third anchor that you need in your life. It's the anchor of faith and endurance. That even though there may be a delay in God's promise, you got to still hold on. you got to still hold on. There may be times that you've dropped anchor and you want to pull it up. You want to get out of there. You want to quit. you got to know I've got to trust in this anchor that I'm dropping this anchor. I'm staying put where I am. I will not leave or abandon what God has called me to. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we don't understand because the next thing he talks about is he says, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. Sometimes we read the stories of Abraham or Isaac or Joseph or David. We read these stories and all they are is pages in a book that we flip through. What we don't understand is the idea that we may start a story when a guy is 40 years old, but we may not end the story until he's 100. We forget that Abraham was promised by God to have descendants, multiple descendants. And yet he was 100 and whatever whenever he had his kid. For a lot of us, we feel like God has promised us something, and when it doesn't happen the next day... We start abandoning God for it, right? God's not faithful. He didn't do this in the time frame that I wanted him to do it. Guess what? When God looks at time, he doesn't see it the same way you and I do. And so for God, a day or a thousand years, it's all the same to him. You're like, oh, do I have to wait a thousand years? Maybe, I don't know. I hope not. But whatever God has promised is always going to be true. We'll talk about that in a second. But you just have to understand, you have to understand something. You've got to be faithful, and you've got to endure, even through the storm. You've got to stay true to what God has called you to do. You can't abandon just because you don't see it right away. And then we'll get to the last one. Verse 16. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. Now, he's setting us up for something here. The, the writer is setting us up for this understanding of, uh, of, of being bound to something. God also bound himself with an oath. So that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Notice something. God binds himself to his own promise. 
In other words, God's not going to change his mind. And you may say, yeah, but, and we'll talk about this next week when we talk about um, being anchored to the word of God. But you may say, yeah, but look at how God has changed over time. He was different in the Old Testament than he was in the New Testament. I want to tell you today, he is absolutely the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He never will change. What you see is the plan, and the plan doesn't change. It's a one plan all the way through with different parts to it. I mean, have you ever had a plan before? I had a plan to go on a trip. The first part of my plan was to stay at a campground. The next part of my plan was to get in a boat. Well, what are you doing? Are you taking a boat ride or are you camping? Yes, I'm doing all of it. The plan doesn't change, just the aspects of where I am at that time are different than other aspects. So here's the thing. God binds himself with an oath to his promises. So verse 18. So God has given both his promise and his oath. In other words, he gave a promise for our salvation, for our deliverance. He gave a promise for our future. He gave us a promise of of heaven. He gave us a promise of judgment. He gives us this promise. It's a plan that he has throughout the whole Bible. And then, not only does he give us a promise, he binds himself to it with an oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence... As we hold on to the hope that lies before us, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Anchor number four is hope in his promises. And this is where we're going to end today. I think sometimes we don't understand the word hope, right? Have you ever used the word hope? Like, Like when we use the word hope, we say things like, I hope I pass the test, right? In other words, uh, I don't think I'm going to pass it. I just hope I pass it. I hope I don't get a ticket when I'm driving down this road at 100 miles an hour, right? We know we're breaking the law and we're just hoping, right? We're not sure. We're just hoping that we don't get a ticket. I hope I get the job. I didn't interview for it. You know, I don't have any background experience. I just hope I get it. I hope I win the lottery, Right? There's all kind of hope that we have. And, and here's the problem with our definition of hope. is Our defini- definition of hope is rooted and grounded in insecurity. It's rooted and grounded in, in wishful thinking. But that's not the biblical definition of hope. As a matter of fact, the biblical definition of hope is the word confidence and trust. It's confidence to the point that you would be willing to build your life on it. That's biblical hope. So what do we need to do? We need to have confidence in what? In his promises. Why? Because he never lies. And he's bound himself to the promise. Therefore, we bind ourselves to the promise. Yeah, but what if I don't see what he promised me? Abraham waited decades I was thinking about, I, I, I got to preach at another church um, later on this month, and I, I was thinking about using the story of Joseph. And just this understanding that Joseph, if you go back to Genesis and you read the story of Joseph, the Bible says that he was given a dream at one point in his life when, when people think he was probably 17 years old, right? A teenager, he's given a dream of his future. But it wasn't for like another 17, 18, 20 years Before he saw that dream fulfilled. In the meantime, he was thrown into a pit. 
he, he was put into slavery. He was put into prison. He was accused of rape. He, he, was, he was forgotten. Like, like he had a guy that said, I'm going to get you out of here. And he immediately turned around and forgot all about him. For years forgot about him. And I got to thinking about that. When we read the story of Joseph, we just go page, page, page. And we don't realize how many years passed. I was just thinking, God, are you ever going to fulfill the promise? And the Bible says that in everything, God was with him. What did Joseph have that a lot of us don't have? He had hope that the promise was going to be fulfilled. He had an anchor of hope that steadied his soul. It steadied his soul. Next week, we're going to start talking about what are we anchored to. Because I feel like today, in our world, we anchor ourselves. We put our hope, our confidence, our trust, we put it in the church. We put it in the government. We put it in our retirement fund. We put it in our comfort. We put our hope in something easy. What are you anchored to today? Next week, we'll talk about being anchored into the Word of God and, and how that can be true for us. And we'll talk about other things in the coming weeks about what we're anchored to. But today the question is, what anchors are you even dropping? Do you have that anchor of maturity? Do you have that anchor of hope? Right? Do you have that anchor of knowledge that God is just? Do you have the anchor of endurance and faithfulness that I'm not going to quit, I'm not going to give up no matter what? we got to have the right anchor. While I was on this island, um, well, we decided to go snorkeling. So, so every day on this island, there's really nothing to do. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like people say, did you have so much fun on your trip? I had fun in doses. And then fun was followed by boredom and heat and sweat and sunburn, right? And then you have a little bit of fun and then it's, you're like, why in the world would you do that? It's just like overall, it's a great trip, right? So one of the times we, we went snorkeling, and, and um, so you get this huge Civil War fort, if you can imagine this giant brick structure. And, and we get in the water on one side of the island, and we snorkel all the way around the, this other part. And when we snorkel around the fort, it takes us like over an hour just to snorkel around the fort. I mean, it's, it's a pretty big structure. So as we're snorkeling, we're looking at fish, and it's really cool. You see all these cool little fish that you never see around here, and... And, um, and, and we found one conch. I don't know if you've ever seen a conch shell. They're really pretty. But I don't know if you've ever seen the actual animal inside. It's really ugly. It's like an alien. And it's got this weird hand that comes out. It's so creepy. Um, and we found one conch. And we played with that. And it was kind of neat. So we're, we're snorkeling around. And then all of a sudden, I, I see this, this thing. And it, it looks, it's long like a pole. And I'm like, what in the world is this in the water? And so I dive down and I'm, I'm kind of checking it out and I follow it down and I realize it comes down and then it's got these two big arms coming off of it. And I was like, this is an anchor. And I call the other guys and I'm like, look at this, look at this anchor, it's kind of cool. And we begin to look at this anchor and this anchor is lodged into the rocks next to the fort. And, and by now the anchor has like, you know, like coral growing on it and, and all this stuff. You know, it's just, it's kind of become one with nature. And as I begin to look at it, I, I begin to think, this is the kind of anchor I need to drop in my life. The kind of anchor that no matter how many hurricanes have blown into that place, no matter how many ships have gone by, no matter how many cannons have been fired, no matter how many storms have come up, no matter how many times the tide has come in and gone out, 
And it was really cool. Like even on this island, I, I need to say this to, to make the rest of it make sense. But even on this island, there was one place that the last time I went to this island seven years ago, it was two islands. But when I went back this time, it was one big island. The island had grown. They, I said, how in the world is this possible? I mean, you can just look and it's just, it's just sand and trees growing up. In seven years, it went from being complete water, a channel deep enough for boats to go through, to now completely filled. And it created this peninsula coming off this island. And we asked people, how did this happen? And they were like, a massive storm came through and shoved all this sand up into the channel. And then um, quickly, plants began to grow on it and it just turned into another part of the island. Through all of that, this anchor has stayed faithful and true and strong and dug in, never leaving. And I got to thinking about my maturity, my faithfulness. I got to thinking about who God is, that he's just and he's true and he's not a liar. And he'll never back down on his promises. I got to thinking about hope, that my hope is not just wishful thinking. My hope is confidence and trust to know that that anchor is sure and it's stuck. What kind of anchors are we dropping down today? Why don't you stand up with me today? I want to encourage you today. I don't want to discourage you. I want to encourage you today to be confident, to have hope. We sing a song earlier called The Blessing. It was, Jonathan kind of tagged it on to another song. And, and, and one thing, uh, I change it. I don't ever sing it the way that we sing it here. Because in The Blessing, it, it says things like, for you and your children and their children. It says, in the, in, in may his presence be upon you and with you and in you. I, I can't remember all the words off the top of my head, but it says those, those things. And as I sing it, one of the things I have a struggle with is as long as I'm singing the words you, I'm not singing it to me. But my hope and my confidence is not in a promise for Jim. It's not in a promise for Perry. It's not in a promise for Josh. My hope and my confidence is in a promise God made for me. So when I sing it, I sing it with me. I say, I say, when it talks about for you and your children, I say for me and my children. I just change the words. I change the words. When it says that his presence will be with you and, and for you, and I say with me and for me and in me, like I'm always changing it. Why? Because I want to have confidence and hope in something that's for me from God. All right? So I want to build up your confidence today. I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to be, feel like you're down and you're out. I don't want you to feel like you're ready to give up. I want you to have some, some anchors today. And next week we'll talk about how, where to set those. But today you need some anchors in your life. So why don't we close our eyes this morning and let's just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. In the, in the coming weeks, we're going to start encouraging people to come down for prayer. Today, I'm going to pray for you right where you are. But there may be some of you today that you're discouraged. There may be some of you today, you're ready to give up on some promises. You're ready to give up some, on some things that, 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 that the Word of God says you can have or, or that God says about you. You're ready to quit today. And I just want you to know today, I need you to drop an anchor. Maybe some of you today, you're, 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 you've gotten into this place of comfort and, and you, you just want the easy, but God is calling you to a place of challenge today. And you just need to drop the anchor of maturity and say, you know what? I'm going to push for maturity. I'm going to push for study. I'm going to push for growth. I'm not going to settle in this place of easy. 
There may be some of you today that you're just wanting to give up and you're wanting to quit. And today you need to drop the anchor of faithfulness and endurance and say, I'm going to push through whatever this problem is, whatever this issue is, I'm going to hold on. Maybe for some of you today, it's the anchor of trusting in God. And you need to know that he is just and he is not a liar. And even though his promise may wait a little while, it's just him being patient for his plan to take place. It has nothing to do with you. So you hold on. Maybe today you just need hope. You just need hope. Here's the cool thing. The Bible says when we have hope like an anchor, it leads us into the presence of God. The inner sanctuary. The place where He is. So if you're struggling today, maybe you're not serving Him at all today. Whatever you're going through, I want you to lift up your hands right now. If you're saying, Gabriel, I'm struggling. I, I need I need an anchor to be dropped in my life. God, right now, I pray for every person in this room, those of us with our hands up, God, that we may be struggling in a storm today. We may be being whipped by the wind and the waves, that that culture and comfort are attacking us today. And God, maybe today we're, we're in a place where we need to be encouraged and we need to be comforted. Maybe we're in a place where we need our butt kicked just a little bit. And so, God, I just ask that you would do either one of those at whatever we need. Either push us or hug us. But God, don't let us stay the same. So God, today I just pray that we would drop some anchors in our lives. Anchors of maturity. Anchors of faithfulness. God, anchors of knowing that you are just and you are not a liar. God, I pray for the anchor of hope today. Not just just wishful thinking, but hope as a confidence to know that you're going to do all that you said you're going to do. God, I pray that we would drop those anchors in our faith today, in our life today. And God, if we're not serving you today, I pray for those that may not know you. I pray for those that may have abandoned Christ. And God, I pray that your spirit would reveal to us today that there is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. There is no other name. There is no other religion. There is no other path except Jesus Christ. So God, I pray for those today that they would turn and they would repent and they would change their way of thinking. And God, that they would accept you as their Savior as their Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.